0: Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge.
1: Today is the day.
0: Good morning. Today is the day. It is Tuesday, September the 3rd. I to think about that for a second. Welcome to September. Um, wow. Okay. So just leading the top of the news there, we have headline after headline that um, is basically not good news. And so I want us to be mindful today that we are good news people. We are good news people in a world that for most Folks out there in the culture is absolutely consumed and dominated by what we would consider bad news, but the only way that we know the difference between good news and bad news is that we qualitatively understand that God is good and that uh, the the universe is ultimately moral, which means that we think of things like hurricanes sitting and spinning, devastating a uh, not only you know a community like a tornado might but an entire country like right we 're talking here. Um, about devastation on the level that we here in the United States have not seen in terms of the power of uh, of a hurricane. You're going to hear some language. You've already heard it. You heard it in the news at the top of the hour. You're going to hear the, the language of natural disaster. I want you to think about those two words from a Christian worldview. Uh, the the actual technical language we should be using is um, is unnatural hazard. Right. It, it only becomes a disaster if the impact of it is such that it is truly, like, disastrous. And so we're going to say, well, we can now call Hurricane Dorian a disaster because of the impact of it. The hurricane itself is actually a hazard. The fact that we live in the way of it turns it into a disaster. So that's there's an impact part of the conversation when you use the word disaster. And so that gives us an opportunity then to talk about mitigating disaster in advance. And also it gives us an opportunity to talk about the response that we have as human beings – when a natural or in this case, unnatural hazard turns into a disaster. So I want us to just be careful with our language and um, and think about the words that we're using and what they mean and then be people who communicate in the culture in such a way in conversations today where when people call it a natural disaster or or please, when they refer to Mother Nature doing something horrific, you know, please intervene as a Christian and say, OK, now, wait just a second. Um who exactly is this Mother Nature to whom you are referring? Because you know God is the creator of all that is. He created it all good prior to the fall of humanity, prior to the entrance of sin into the world. Um, these kinds of hazards did not exist, and so they're not natural. They are unnatural. They are a consequence of the of the fact that when humanity fell, when when we chose ourselves over God, when we said, "Mm, God, we're going to go our own way and do our own thing and be the heads of our own, you know, of our own cultural reality, Uh, then God gave us our head. It's like giving a horse its head and just letting it run wild. All right. So God gave us our head, essentially, and let us have our own way. That is sin. That not only resulted in the reality of sin and brokenness in our own lives and the consequence of death but it resulted in the fall of creation itself. Scripture's really clear. All of creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. Why is that? Because it's not natural for the the perfect creation of God to be heaving in upon itself in these ways. So it's not a natural disaster. It's an unnatural hazard now against which uh, the impacts of which we must mitigate as human beings. So in the coming days, we're definitely going to talk about uh, how – Local communities and how those of us who are in a position to support and help local communities dealing, actually, with the effects of Hurricane Dorian will be able to do that. Let us, in the meantime, be praying that the storm move on, that it get a move on. Um, So Hurricane Dorian has already been deadly. It has stalled over the Bahamas for more than 24 hours. It remains a very powerful storm, maybe less uh, of a concern now to the mainland of the United States, but certainly devastating to the people Uh, of the Bahamas. We also uh, have had some events over the weekend in California and Chicago and other places that we need to talk about. But Tommy Binion is waiting in the wings. So I am going to turn now to my conversation with him. He and I are going to talk about uh, having the 2020 election in view, as well as what does the federal government do when there are these catastrophic events like Hurricane Dorian? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill.
2: And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the capital city. It's a
0: long, Joining long us this morning to is Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal. Hey, welcome back. Good morning. It's, it's great
2: to be with you.
0: It's great to have you here today. So um, can we lead off with kind of a explainer, a, a, a on how the federal government does respond when what I'm now describing as unnatural hazards like hurricanes turn into disasters. And then we have to deal with the with the impact and effect of those. I don't think there's I don't think a lot of people like really understand how FEMA works and why governors would be asking the president to declare, um, you know, a state of emergency in advance of a storm's arrival. So can you walk us through a little bit of that?
2: Sure. So there's really, um, there's three categories. There's advanced preparation, which is really important. Um, And it's going to determine, uh, like you were were talking about, the level to which we are able to mitigate a disaster. Advanced preparation is really important. Dorian has been a particularly slow-moving storm. We've we've expected it to hit Florida now for over a week. So we've had lots of time to um, prepare in advance. Governors in Florida, Georgia, South, and North Carolina have all declared mandatory evacuations. So that mitigates, that um, lowers the amount of rescue operations that that have to go on. The next category is in the short term, during and immediately after a disaster, and that's about rescue and recovery. That's about making sure that everybody is safe, making sure that resources are in place, getting power restored. I was driving north on I-95 all day on Sunday, and I passed Carmen, I'm not kidding, 300 power trucks driving south on 95 to get to Georgia and to get to Florida to be in a position to respond if hurricane-force winds were to knock power out in those states. And the last thing is long-term. The long-term recovery, especially where the federal government is concerned, and this directly answers your questions about why governors declare Emergencies and why they ask the federal government to declare emergencies in these places, it's about funding. It's about getting money to the areas that are affected by this so that they can rebuild. Anytime a named storm hits, anytime there is a big natural disaster like this, um, what you have is the ability to get federal funds to rebuild. There's always um, uh, disaster rec- uh, relief funding in place. Now, it's really interesting. This is just a this is a, a slight policy point, um, but a, a trend recently has been for that disaster relief money to be spent on really community building projects rather than just rebuilding houses that were destroyed. The fund where we rebuild houses that were destroyed, it's called the Disaster Relief Fund, the DERF, they they call it in Washington. It has tens of billions of dollars in it. Um, it's, it's more than enough to recover from a storm like this. Um, but uh, still, there will be another bill. There will be another appropriations package built to sort of uh, help communities grow. It'll be aimed at economic recovery. Uh, and, and that's an, another question altogether. And I question the federal government's involvement in that. So that's the, that's the big picture. There's before, during, and immediately after, and then long term.
0: So as we go to um, as we go to a quick break here, let me just invite you, if you're listening, to consider the storms that are on the horizon. Like they're always brewing out there and we can um, we can use opportunities like Hurricane Dorian to talk with one another about the storms that are always looming on the horizon of our lives. Some of them are um, are storms that come with actual physical rain. Most of them come with the kinds of things that just pummel us and try to blow us, um, you know, blow us off center. So these these same um Three categories apply. We need advanced preparation. You need to plan to be resilient in order that you could mitigate against the need um, to to actually have others come and help. So how can we you know, prepare ourselves in advance for all of the storms that might be on the horizon? Well, I would say we strengthen ourselves by faith. We grow the fellowship of the community of believers of which we're a part. Um, and we and we make sure that um, that we have an understanding of the way the world works and we recognize it's not every day is not going to be sunny. Um, during and, and then immediately following, we need to be the people in a position to participate in the rescue and recovery, bringing the resources of the faith to bear on the, the very real trauma that not only our own families, but other families experience. So if we have done the the right advance prep, we can be resilient. We can be in a position to be the helpers and not those who are in need of um, of being rescued. But we are the rescued in Christ and in long term. It's not just about financial recovery. Like every single one of these individuals and families and communities and churches is going to also need really serious spiritual recovery. And so we as the body of Christ in the world can also be deployed long term um, in our own communities and communities around the world to really to serve in that particular way as well. Um, I'm going to continue my conversation with Tommy Binion from The Daily What are we? Where are we? I'm so out of my mind this morning. It's the Daily Signal. I was about to describe it as something else, which would have been terrible. It's the Daily Signal. It's Tommy Binion. He's here with us, and we'll be right back. Returning to my conversation with Tommy Binion, you can follow him at TP he is from The Daily Signal. I, I almost misspoke, and he would have had his feelings hurt, and I would have felt terrible. Um, the Daily Signal is a part of what is going on at Heritage. Hey, remind us, Tommy, what Heritage is, and then remind us what you do at The Daily Signal. Not necessarily what you do, but what you, the sure. collective you, at The Daily Signal do. Yeah.
2: So the Heritage Foundation is a, um, an educational organization that exists in Washington, D.C., uh, to influence public policy outcomes. What we do is we research uh, policy, especially federal policy. We make recommendations to the United States Congress uh, and to the um, presidential administration and to the Supreme Court uh, about policies. We're a rather large organization centered right there on Capitol Hill. And we have a news outlet, and it's called The Daily Signal. And one of the things The Daily Signal does best, in my opinion, is cover stories that illustrate policy. You get a lot of articles On on other news sites about, uh, you know, the horse race for the presidential contest or what's going on in in palace intrigue at the White House, the Daily Signal, you'll get stories about real people throughout the country. And their stories illustrate why federal policy is important and how it affects um, those of us in the real world. Uh, So I actually find it a, a breath of fresh air on the Daily Signal.
0: All right. And there's some really uh, cool new contributors at Daily Signal. If you guys want to go check it out, it's dailysignal.com. Uh, Let's talk about um, the economy, because I think that we see headlines that um, that say, hey, people are beginning to feel the effects of tariffs and those felt impacts are then affecting um, you know, our perception of uh, of our own economic power. Trade deficits uh, continue to grow um, when we talk about the economy, I think that probably top of mind for most people is is jobs. Do I have a job? Does my job uh, pay me enough to meet the primary needs of my family? Like right when we talk about the economy at the at the most personal level, we're we're almost always talking about jobs. So let's talk about jobs in conversation with the 2020 election cycle.
2: Sure. So. um you're right. The tariffs are sort of hanging all over our heads, but what we all care about is jobs and, and the absolute bright spot. The, the best piece of economic news that we have, the best thing going for us is how great the labor market is. We're going to get another jobs report on Friday, and, and, and when that comes out, we'll see that unemployment has held very, very low at 3.7%, and we'll see that the economy added you know 150, 160,000 jobs again in the month of august this is this is very good news but the effect is not macro the effect is micro it, you mentioned it it's on the individual think about any market think about the housing market there are buyers markets where there's lots of houses on the market and therefore the prices are low and there are sellers markets where there are a very few sellers and therefore the the price can be very high well this we have a seller's market in in the labor market today. There are few workers and they can demand higher prices. Um, It's it's about leverage. If you work for a company, you're the only one available to do that job with that skill. They have to pay you more to keep you. Um, And so on an individual level, people are experiencing job security, which is great, but also wage growth. They're getting raises. They're getting incentives to stay with their company. Uh, That is the effect of a tight labor market is that individuals, laborers, have more leverage. And that's where we are today. Your original question was how does this affect 2020? I think that benefits President Trump. Uh, Every other election, just about you can trace the outcome to how well the economy was doing. The economy is doing well. The incumbent does well. If the economy is doing poorly, the incumbent does poorly. It's as simple as that. Uh, if if that holds true in 2020, President Trump will be the president again.
0: So we've got all kinds of of threads that we talk about um, that I'm not always sure we weave them together in a way that um, you know that that folks can sort of see the fabric of what's going on. So when we talk about the economy, uh, there are going to be a lot of people you know for whom the conversation is really going to be about immigration because they cannot their their company or their farm cannot do right now what What they want to do, um, because they don't have the number of laborers that they once had or access to the kind of laborers that um, that they need to accomplish you know what's what 's in front of them, um, so immigration is a part of this conversation, certainly education is a part of this conversation uh, and we have a we have a dearth of construction workers because young people don 't know that that not going to college and going to a trade school where you learn. Um, a skill that is going to make you a whole lot more money than uh, – than I was going to say like a sociology degree, but that wasn't going to be nice um, – than a degree that you know for which there aren't real jobs out there um, right now. Uh, and so I think that when we talk about education, when we talk about immigration, when we talk about um, women in the workforce, when we talk – I mean like, right, these are all conversations, not just about what's going on at home. These are conversations about the economy. And so I think that sometimes people tune out when we're having economic conversations. But I can tell you people are tuned in right now um, to policy at the national level in a way that they maybe haven't been tuned in before because all of a sudden their farmer next door who grows soybeans is actually affected by this this tariff, uh, you know, this trade war, this tariff issue that we have with China.
2: Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. There, There is a reason that immigration and education uh, and jobs are the top issues in this election. It's because that's what people can see individually affects them. They understand that uh, how immigration affects the labor market. They see the mismatch that you described between our education system and the economy that we need. They, they, they're looking at their student bill or their student loan statement. Uh, and and they're, and they're and they're asking themselves, uh, was it worth it? Um, they can see the direct connection between federal policy, how it affects you know society, and then how that uh, interacts with them. If you want to know what will the big issues be in the 2020 election, ask yourself, what are the issues that personally affect you? If immigration personally affects you, and I think it does, then that will mean. It's a top issue in the 2020 election. If the economy personally affects you, that means it will be a a big issue in the 2020 election. That's how I think um, uh, Americans decide who to vote for, is how a candidate scores on issues that are important to them. What are the issues that are important to them? Well, those are the issues that affect them.
0: Hey, so um, I had an idea for you last night. So Uh, when if you heard, I know. Well, okay. So Bernie Sanders, you know, is like noodling around in public about, uh, paying off everybody's medical debt across the country. Uh We've actually featured on this show, like how that is done and why that is economically possible and paying off student debt is not. So if you want to have offline, have that conversation, I can absolutely tell you in advance what he's going to propose because we've actually talked to the people who do this. Through through charitable contributions. And so anyway, um, I think it's really cool. Uh, folks can go back and listen to those. Con- yeah. I know. Yeah. Folks can go back and listen to those conversations with the guys from RIP medical debt, RIP medical debt. Um, and it, those have been fascinating conversations. I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that's what Bernie is about to propose. Um, and we know why you can't do it with student debt. And the reason is the government actually is, you know, is is the main holder of the student debt. And so they can't do that in, a, in the same way that uh, we can all collectively help pay off our neighbor's medical debt because it's actually cheap to buy. Anyway, it's a it's a cool, fascinating idea. And I'd love to have that conversation with you maybe offline.
2: You bet. Thanks.
0: All right. Hey, that's Tommy Binion at the Daily Signal of the Heritage Foundation. Go check out what they are doing. Daily Signal is the is the sort of like news and reporting arm of the Heritage Foundation. You can check them out at heritage.org. We'll be right back. So there's some uh, there's some headlines today that I'd like to just spend a few minutes uh, discussing with you. And one of them is a an op ed by one of the candidates for president. Her name is Marianne Williamson. Um, And I I don't think Marianne Williamson is going to be elected president of the United States. I don't even think she's going to ultimately be the Democratic nominee. But she is a provocateur of some of the right conversations. Now, Marianne Williamson gets some things right in that she puts her finger on some of the issues and the actual deep soul problems that we have in the country. The problem is she doesn't go all the way to what is righteous. And so just because somebody is technically right doesn't mean what they are proposing or offering is righteous. And so I'm going to actually wander around in Marianne Williamson's op-ed from The Washington Post today that the U.S., the United States, needs a Department of Peace and I'm going uh, to tell us how to take that from mm, right to righteous. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen.
1: When you think of the word wise, what comes to mind? Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivement, helping you be wise and thrive. I think of a wise old owl or the wise men who visited the Christ child. You may have a totally different picture in your mind. But one thing I know for sure, finding a picture of wisdom is so much easier than being wise. Here's my take on it. Living your life wisely means that you wrestle with the tension that comes with choices. You look deeper to seek out what God would have you to do, and then you're obedient. Being wise is different from being smart. Being wise with money means you think about the bigger picture, and it's not just about building wealth. It's about being a good steward. Wisdom isn't just something you can get from a book or a class. You have to live life to be wise. Observe those around you. Seek counsel from others who are wise. So ask God for guidance on your path. And as you learn, be generous by sharing your wisdom with others.
0: Welcome back. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen Laberge. We're going to spend a few moments now, a few minutes now, talking about, well, a different kind of unnatural hazard. All right. So we opened up today uh, making reference to the fact that Hurricane Dorian is described as a natural disaster. And it is a disaster now that has actually passed over. Well, It hasn't passed over. It's stuck. It's like stalled out over the Bahamas and it's just wreaking absolute havoc. Um, so the disaster is what happens after the storm, which is a hazard, um, has its way with a community. The natural uh, language there, the, the reference to the word natural, is the one that I would argue against. I would say that as Christians, we need to point out this is actually not the way God intended it to work. Um, this is unnatural. This, like every other part of uh, of fallen creation— this is a result of sin. It's a result of human sin. Now, I'm, I'm not uh, going to go so far as to, you know, as to point to any particular action of, of human beings now, like, you know, the fact that you use aerosol hairspray, I'm not going to say that's why people in the Bahamas are, are dying as the result of, uh, of, a, of a massive, overwhelming storm. I am going to say that sin, original sin, and then the ongoing reality of the, of the power of sin in human life, generation upon generation, results in the fact that we live a long way from Eden. We live a long way from the reality of the way God created things to be. And scriptures are really, the scriptures are really clear. All of creation fell when we fell. So all of creation now groans with eager longing for man's redemption. And so you have an opportunity today in the conversations that you're having when people are talking about natural, quote unquote, natural disasters like Hurricane Dorian or um, absolutely horrific um, man-made realities like people being on a boat off the coast of California um, on, a, you know, on a three-day Labor Day weekend dive trip who were trapped below decks when a fire broke out, and they died, lots of them, dozens of them. And there's not going to be a good explanation. There's not going to be enough, uh, enough money to go after in court. There's not going to be enough you know, insurance money to go after to replace the precious lives that are now lost. And so we're not going to be able to talk about um, whose fault it, it is or was um, that folks died in that way we are going to be able to talk about life and death we are going to be able to talk about the precious nature of life and we are going to talk about human depravity and the reality of sin and you and i as christians in the culture we're the only ones who can do that we're the only ones who can bring those points of the conversation to light and to life and to speak them in speak them as truth into the cultural conversations of the day so one of the people who is bringing spiritual language To the forefront of our cultural conversation is Marianne Williamson. Now, I use the word spiritual conversation on purpose. I will not, absolutely not go so far as to say she is bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of our day because she does not describe herself in that way. But truth can be found here. And let's be mindful of that. All right. Um, Truth can be found here in the things that she's saying. We just need to be the ones who say "Mm, that's not quite the whole truth she's not wrong but she's also not right righteously right in the way that she's talking about things so she's not wrong there are there are evidences she's she's laying down markers of truth here and we need to go and we need to say here's a marker of truth and here's why she doesn't quite get there uh because she doesn't really bring jesus to the to the party in her conversations all right she's bringing a spiritualism a very broad um spiritualism to the conversation, but she's not bringing the person of Christ into the conversation. And so she's not wrong, but she's also not righteously right. She doesn't get all the way to the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. She There is truth here, though. So I'm going to refer here to an op-ed that Marianne Williamson, who, by the way, is running for president. Uh, she has an, an op-ed in The Washington Post, and it's, you know, keep in mind that the Uh, that the editors of The Post picked this title. She didn't. I have no idea what her title would have been um, for this piece. But here's their title. The U.S. needs a Department of Peace. So after um, acknowledging that we have had uh, another day and therefore another mass shooting in America, she acknowledges our grief for Odessa, Texas, and grieving for America. Now, let me pause here and say she could have here laid out the stats. She doesn't, but she could have. She could have right here said that in August we had 38 mass shootings in the United States of America. A mass shooting is a shooting that involves at least three gun-related fatalities, at least three. So 53 people died in the month of August in what are described as mass shootings in the United States of America. So when we say that it happens every day, uh, 38 shootings in a month that – Let's see. Thirty days has September, April, June, and November. All others have thirty-one. Uh, Thirty-eight shoot mass shootings in a month that only has thirty-one days means yeah. We can now say this is an everyday occurrence in America. Like we can at least say it for the month of August. In the month of August, it was an everyday occurrence in the United States of America. That's not okay. We can all say that is not okay. Something is wrong here. And Marianne Williamson puts her finger, I think, on the pulse of the reality of what is wrong here. Because she goes, you know, she 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 makes some statements about what she thinks should be done in relation to gun policy. And I'm going to skip over that. And I'm going to go to the part where she talks about what is underneath looking deeper um, for the casual, you know, for the causal layers uh, of our epidemic of violence, looking beyond the politics and looking at ourselves. She talks about us being a violent people. She talks about this being a violent culture. Um, regular mass shootings are not societally normal. Now, I would say, sadly, they are not societally natural because it's not the way God created or intended it to be, but they are normal if, if the word normal means what we have normalized. All right. So again, look at language, dissect language, think about the words and then have the moral conversations that we're set up to have in the culture today. Um, She talks about uh, the fact that most politicians only deal with symptoms. She wants to deal with underlying causes. Well, you and I know that at the root of this, the underlying cause is sin. There's a reason that, you know, like she's recognizing that our hearts are violent. Well, there's a reason that our hearts are violent. We have done Violence to the only relationship that has the possibility of producing peace, but peace is where she heads in uh, in her recommendations. She wants to basically have a Department of Peace. Here's what she says: We will not break free of dysfunctional realities. Which, okay, anybody that talks about dysfunctional realities has already ding 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 run the rung the truth bell that there's a dysfunction here. It was functional. Prior to the fall, she doesn't point to that. But I'm saying you as a Christian can point to that today. She's not wrong that our culture is dysfunctional, that we are dysfunctional, that we are misaligned, that we are out of sorts with the way we were designed to be by God. Right? There is there's a reason we have enmity with, with ourselves and one another. It's because we're at enmity with God. There is a root cause here. She just doesn't get all the way to it. So she points to the dysfunctional realities. Um, And wants us to embrace more functional ones. Well, we can't we cannot in and of ourselves just suddenly embrace functional realities. We're we're broken and we need grace. We need the grace of God in Jesus Christ to restore us to a relationship with the father, to a right relationship with ourselves. And then what will be produced is right relationships with others. So she proposes a U.S. Department of Peace. To coordinate and harness the powers of conflict resolution, restorative justice, violence pre- prevention, trauma-informed education, mindfulness in schools. Uh, we should talk about that one. Uh, child and family wraparound services, social and emotional learning, and a world-class peace academy to train and deploy thousands of peace builders, plus national conferences and a presidential task force for peace creation. Okay, we have a world-class peace academy It is deployed in every community across America. It's called the church. The problem is that every one of those peace academies is not intentionally producing peacemakers. We're not intentionally producing peacemakers, disciples who are people of peace, who know how to actually go out and make peace. All right, I know I'm 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 on a little bit of a rant. I'm sorry. I'll slow down. I'm not actually mad at anybody. I just want us to get that there are um, there are little nuggets of truth sitting out sitting out there in very public forums that we need to pick up and we need to help people build with. All right, so we're going to come back in just a minute to continue the conversation about not only uh, a U.S. Department of Peace, but I uh, I want to propose a Ministry of Friendship a ministry of reconciliation, agents of grace, ambassadors of the kingdom. Oh, and you're going to say to yourself, that's all in the Bible. We'll be right back. Okay, so I have calmed down during the break and um, a little bit. And I'm going to unpack this for us in hopefully a way that equips each and every one of us to walk this out into the conversations of the day. So Marianne Williamson is a candidate for president on the Democratic side. She is uh, she's one of many, um, and I don't expect that she will ultimately garner the Democrat uh, nomination, nor do I expect her to be the next president of the United States. However, she is a cultural influencer. She is a person who, um, even though political pundits and sort of the elite political class, they just brush her off as Um, irrelevant. She's not irrelevant. Um, And she's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's just also not quite right. And so we as Christians can take what she is giving us, like in in today's uh, Washington Post op-ed that she has there about the U.S. needing a Department of Peace. We can take that and we can say, you know what, it's impossible to actually know peace and therefore cultivate peace and become a people of peace if we don't know the Prince of Peace. Like, how are you going to do that? So when she, when she makes her proposals, it's all very humanistic. It's all very much reliant upon us. Now, it's spiritual, but it's not Christian. And we need to be able to make that distinction in our own hearts and minds, in our own lives, uh, and in our conversations with others. So what Marianne Williamson is saying is spiritual, but it's not Christian. Do you know the difference? Would you be able to carry on a conversation with somebody distinguishing that from which is generically spiritual? Okay, and there we might be talking about New Age um, ideas. We might be talking about, um, people talk about mindfulness or they talk about the practices of Eastern religions and Eastern spiritualities. That we're talking there about New Age ideas. And you say, oh, I thought the New Age thing was back in the 70s. (laughs) Marianne Williamson is from the 70s. Okay, so when we talk about, New Age ideas and the way that those ideas are brought forward into 21st century conversations and as they are applied to what we just openly describe as a culture of death and a culture of violence today, right? None of which is different than just right outside the Garden of Eden, right? Culture of violence, culture of death introduced in the second generation of humanity. You remember, right, that Cain killed his brother Abel, all right? And he didn't have a gun, but he did have a spirit of anger that brooded up within him to become murderous. And he found a way with what was available to him, which happened to be, you know, a rock, not Iraq, the country, a rock on the ground. OK, so she thinks we need a Department of Peace, but she doesn't know the Prince of Peace. So it's a little bit hard to uh, uh, to imagine how you are going to lead people to become people of peace and communities of peace and a culture of peace. If you don't actually know the Prince of Peace, who's Jesus the Christ, that gives us an opportunity today to talk about him. That is always our goal. It's always my goal to be talking about the real issue behind the issues. And the real issue behind every issue is God. Always, always and every time. There's not an issue that is going on in our culture or in your heart today or in your life or in your office. None of them, none of them is is disconnected from the reality that God is. God is, and God has spoken, and God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and God has offered to us redemptive grace. And for those who have received that redemptive grace, God has made of us, he has made of us ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, agents of grace, ministers of reconciliation, and yes, peacemakers. So, If you want to take what Marianne Williamson is giving us, right, which is a call for a department of peace, I would just go ahead and go beyond that. I would say, you know what? We need a minister of friendship. We need a minister of fellowship. We need a minister to care and combat the crisis of loneliness and despair in this country. What are those? Well, those are ministers of reconciliation. And guess what? Every single Christian is already one of those. You are a minister of reconciliation. That's actually what the Bible calls us. The question is whether or not you're living out that ministry today. In relationships with people whose skin is a different pigmentation than yours, are you a minister of reconciliation? In relationships that are broken, in your own home, in your own school, in your own place of work, in your own community, are you an active minister of reconciliation? Not like passively not making trouble. Okay, ministers of reconciliation are not people who just passively don't make trouble. They're not, you know, the sidelined, quote-unquote, good people. No, no. Ministers of reconciliation are the ones that walk into the hot zone. We walk into the hot zone as people who are um, filled with peace because we're possessed of the spirit of the living God, Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit. If, if that's who you are, then that's who you're called to be, a minister of reconciliation today in the world that God so loves. Another word, if you don't like that one, um, is that the Bible calls us agents of grace. Now, an agent is a person who is sent, right? Sent by the one in authority into a situation to do something. So, if you are an agent of grace, you are sent by God today into the world to bear what? To bear grace. To bear grace. You are an agent of grace, a minister of reconciliation an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven to the kingdoms of this world. That's who you are. So go out there in a ministry of friendship, in a ministry of fellowship, uh, caring for and combating the crisis of loneliness and despair and violence and anger in the culture today. We want to change what's fundamentally the root cause that Marianne Williamson is pointing to here. Then we aren't going to be the ones who ultimately transform the hearts and minds of people. But we are the ones who make it visible in the world in such a way that people turn and and they're like, what is going on with that person? What's going on over there? What's different about them? What do they know that I don't know? Because in the midst of this chaos, they appear to be at perfect peace. We'll be right back. All right. So, um. How are you going to walk all of that out into the world today that God so loves? Um, don't be a person who just you know, cries out, peace, peace, unless you are also crying out um, in, in the culture, the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ. It passes all understanding. It, it, it gets at the root cause of sin. It provides something that the world can absolutely not offer, but, but for which the world is desperately dying to know. So be that person today. Um, Be that agent of grace, that minister of reconciliation, who is possessed of the perfect peace of Christ, which passes all understanding because you are under the lordship of the prince of peace. And walk it out in there to the world. Walk it out into the world. Uh, Do so without fear. Do so with great compassion and love and understanding that people are living um, in, in great fear and desperation. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody else And invite them in. Invite them in to the covering of peace that you have in Jesus Christ. Um, I had actually somebody say over the weekend, hey, thanks for taking me under your wing. And I thought to myself, it's not my wing. It's not my wing. I don't even have a wing. Trust me, not an angel. Have no wing. Um, But when we take people in, when we take people not only into fellowship but into discipleship, they, they they get under the covering that we enjoy as well. And so do that today. Be a person who's extending the grace of, of Christ, the grace of God to other people in such a way that they feel covered, that they feel invited in, that they begin to explore for themselves what it looks like to have a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.